Today's scripture is taken from 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will uh, has uh, what we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this: when He is revealed, He will be. Li- we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. And all who have this hope in Him purify themselves, just as He is pure. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you today. I haven't uh, been able to see you at 1045 services for a few weeks because I'm upstairs usually leading our kids in virtual Sunday school, which is usually a riot. Last week, we tried to see who could raise just one eyebrow. I mean, really deep stuff is happening at kids' Sunday school. So it's good to be with you. I'm Pastor Rebecca Yelly and currently serving as our associate pastor of faith formation. So again, thanks for giving me space to be here with you this morning during our 1045 service. This week I've been thinking about what it was like to grow up with a last name like Yelly. The truth is that it was both a blessing and a curse. A blessing in that that name connects me to this really rich, beautiful Norwegian heritage and Lefsa right? Nothing wrong with a good piece of lefsa. Uh, That's not lutefisk. Some of you are thinking I meant lutefisk. I did not. Lutefisk is that cod dried fish thing. It's like fish jelly. It's not good. Skip that. Um, Also a blessing because it's really easy to know when a telemarketer has called, right? Is Mrs. Hegel there? She is not. Is Miss Hegeli there? No, she is not. Is Miss, is Rebecca there? They usually, sometimes they just skip it all the way. It's also been a bit of a curse. I realized early on, especially in elementary school, that bullies know how to rhyme yelly with things like smelly or jelly or belly, right? So creative. Thanks, bullies. And I'm never quite sure when they call out a name in the airport if it's if it's me, Rebecca, or another Rebecca whose last name might be a version of Yelly being mispronounced, right? It's very confusing. Also the same at raffles. I don't know. It might be me. How's it spelled? Someone tell me. Well, even with all of that last name sort of confusion, I'm still very proud to be a Yelly. I've been fortunate enough to learn more of our family history through some books and pictures that have been written. We have kind of a family archive at our family farm in Northeast Iowa. It's been really amazing to hear those stories of how our family came from those roots in Norway to Northeast Iowa. Well, this last week, my parents, my mom and my dad, made a new discovery. They found some letters that my grandfather had written to my grandmother before they were married. Um, I've got a picture of them in their younger days. This is Arnold and Denise. And uh, Arnold has since passed. He 
uh, passed several years ago. And reading these letters has really given me a different picture of him. And so I want to share just part of one of the letters that he wrote to her, again, in those early days before they were married. So he wrote this uh, from that family farm in Decorah, December 23rd, 1942, at 7.45 p.m. I warn you, it's a little sappy sweet, so get ready. Dearest Denise, this is about the time I usually call for you, and I'm surely glad you decided to have a date with me tonight. I don't know why, but every time I call on you, I feel so excited and happy. Maybe I'm in love with someone. Do you suppose that could be? I just got your letter this afternoon. I hadn't expected that I'd hear from you uh, so soon, although I've been looking in every mail, and I knew you wouldn't stand me up. Say, darling, I don't know much about girls' taste in watches and all that, but if you don't like the style, color, size, make, etc., of the watch I bought you for Christmas, I'd like to have you exchange it. And I mean that. So he gave her a watch for Christmas. Beautiful, right? How sweet. Well, then he goes on in this letter. This is one letter, you guys. One letter. Can you imagine how many text messages that would be today? And finally, at the end of this letter, after outlining all of the things that he had done that day, all of the things that were just on his mind, he says, guess I'd better quit or I won't have anything to write tomorrow. Uh, it's so easy to write to you, darling, because I feel you listen to my prattling. Write again, honey. Your letter was so sweet that I've read it and read it uh, over and over again. Lovingly yours, Arnold. I had just never seen my grandfather as a love-struck young man. That was not my experience of him. This, this young man who is head over heels for my grandmother. I think it is so sweet. And again, it gives me this fuller picture of him and, and their relationship, the, the love that they shared for so many years, a love that saw them through job changes, through loss and grief, through five kids, grandkids, great-grandkids. It's a love that really saw them through the best of those days and the worst of those days. Something kept them connected, and I think that's the love that they shared. I know that I'm just a small part of that story, sort of in the the final chapters of it, but I am still so proud to be a part of that Yelly family. Now, I don't know if you've had opportunities to do a little digging into your family history, but it really is fascinating to see those roots of our families and where they have led us today. Sometimes we discover things that are sweet and sentimental and moving, Sometimes we discover things that, that maybe we wish we didn't know. Things that are hard, truths that are hard, relationships that were broken. Um, and yet, we, as a part of that, are shaped by that. The good and the bad, that history, those stories, those people 
who have gone before us. And this morning, we are turning our attention to a letter that was written to the early church, to early Christians who were gathered as a community of faith. And so in many ways, they are our spiritual family, our spiritual ancestors. And this letter was written to them to encourage them, to challenge them, to help clarify what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's a letter that was meant to inspire them and their living so that their love for neighbors near and far, for their communities, for the world, that that love might just change the world. And so this morning we've read that letter again so that we might understand its calling for us as followers of Christ today. This is the second week of our Love Made Real sermon series based on that letter of 1 John. Now last week, Pastor Amy reminded us that the early church had its fair share of struggles and disagreements. Some of them were minor, some of them were significant, like the color of the carpet or who gets to sit in which pew. I mean, major stuff, you guys, like, like major angry stuff. Well, the churches that were in uh, this First John context were facing a significant disagreement about the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. A bit more important than carpet color and pew assignments. You see, some in that community felt that the humanity of Jesus wasn't a full humanity. It was more of, of Jesus appearing to be human, almost like a mask or a veil that he would have worn while he was here with us. They just could not reconcile that Jesus could be both fully human, fully divine at the same time. And so they decided to focus on his divinity. Because of that, they decided that it did not really matter how we lived our lives here. Because what was truly important was what was spiritual. So live and let live, do what you will, eat, drink, be merry, because all that matters is what's to come, that spiritual life. Now for others in this community, including the apostles and the author of 1 John, the full humanity and the full divinity of Jesus were inseparable because together they point to the fullness of God's redemptive love in Jesus Christ. Together they show us the fullness of God's love. You see, they believe that Jesus was the incarnation of God's love, the word made flesh. They believed that that meant we needed to be sure and certain of how we were living our lives today. We needed to be models of that life and that example that Christ had set for us. We're not just to, to do what we feel. Instead, we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can be empowered to live as people of love. And so that's the invitation for us in 1 John chapter 3. An invitation to remember our identity as children of God and to let that shape how we live, how we love, and how we serve. 
I want to just hear, uh, read it again for us so that we can hear that invitation one more time. How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Those three verses hold a lot for us. First, they remind us that God's love is abundant, that it has been lavished on us, that it has been poured over our lives in excess, and that is available to all. It also invites us in those three verses to claim our place in the family of God. It gives us a new identity, one that hasn't been shaped by family or friends or the world, one that comes to us from God, our loving creator. And as children of God, these verses remind us that we are to model our lives after Christ, who loved when it felt impossible, who showed mercy and sought justice for those who had been overlooked and marginalized and pushed to the edges. We are invited to love and to live our lives as Christ has called us, even when it comes at a cost, even when it's misunderstood, even when we are ridiculed for it. The invitation of 1 John is to let that love of God be made real in our lives and to keep choosing love, even when it feels impossible. This last week, I read a prayer by Dr. Shaniqua Walker Barnes. It's titled, Prayer of a Weary Black Woman. It's in a new book that's called A Rhythm of Prayer, a collection of meditations for renewal. And it's edited by another author named Sarah Bessie, who has several books to her credit. And the reason that I read Dr. Walker Barnes's prayer is because of a colleague who had seen some of the online comments and wanted other clergy to come and join the conversation. And so I did. And I was shocked by what people were writing online in response to a prayer that I found to be a vulnerable prayer of lament and grief. There were some who called her prayer racist. Others said that she was inciting violence. Others went as far as questioning Dr. Walker Barnes' academic credentials and her faith in God. How could she pray something like this and call herself a Christian? Those individuals were so angry and so offended but when asked if they had read the full prayer, they hesitated. 
When asked if they knew why she had written the prayer, they claimed it didn't matter. They had done very little to actually listen to her prayer. And instead, they offered their online world their fear, their judgment, and for some, even their hatred. Now, I've heard Dr. Walker Barnes speak. I heard her speak at a conference out in Denver called Evolving Faith. And so I went to her page, her Facebook page, and I, and I looked for some uh, reflection and response to what was happening online as she, the author of that prayer, started to see those comments and hear that feedback. And so she shared that her prayer was written in response to a conversation that she had with a dear friend, someone that she had known for a long time, someone who she had confided in, someone that she trusted. And in the course of their casual conversation, this dear friend used the N-word. And Dr. Walker Barnes was shocked and deeply hurt that such a dear friend would use that language in their conversation together. And so, Dr. Walker Barnes turns to prayer, and she lays out all that is on her heart, her hurt, her pain, her confusion, all that she is wrestling with in light of this conversation with a friend. And still, at the end of her prayer, Dr. Walker Barnes commits herself to pressing on in love. And by my reading, that is her invitation for all who would read it. That we all would find a way to press on in love, even when it feels impossible. Church, it matters how we engage these kinds of conversations. How we create space for one another matters. How we listen and respond to another person's experience matters. Because those are all ways that we can make the love of God real in our world. We must do better. We are all, all underlined, circled, bold, italicized, different font, all deeply loved children of God. That is true. That is who we are. And we are called to live in a way that reflects that love to a hurting world and to people who are weary. May we press on in love, not because it is simple or easy, because it is the only thing that has and ever will change the world. May it be so. Amen and amen.